All right, so lesson six is um, Language of the Bridegroom is Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon if you have a uh, Protestant or a Catholic Bible. <coughs> oh, thank you very much. Very similar. Song of Solomon. Before we begin. Blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and give, gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. There you go. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, study Torah for his own sake. Does that sound familiar? Lesson Actually, we read that in Eshekhail, Eshekhail, uh, when it says, uh, which one is it? Which says she... Um, well, tell me we're not supposed to know the letter that says it. Well, I was going to ask for it, yeah. <laughs> <'cause she did. laughs> anyway, okay, never mind. <laughs> Solomon foresaw, this is uh, the rabbi Shlomo Yishak, or Rashi, Solomon foresaw that through the Ruach HaKodesh, that Israel is destined to suffer a series of exiles and will lament. Nostalgically, recalling her former status as God's chosen beloved, she will say, I will return to my first husband, for it was better with me then than now. And that's from Hosea 2.9. Then the children of Israel will recall his beneficence and the trespass which they trespass, Leviticus 26.4. And they will recall the goodness with uh, which he promised for the end of days. Rashi read Song of Songs, and in agreement with the sages of the Talmud and the Midrash, uh, says the Song of Songs must be a, 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 a an analogy, a uh, allegory, uh, an, or more importantly, an allegory rather. Uh, and as reading it as an allegory, what allegory is it? He relates it to Hosea. She's a she's a she's a wife that's been alternately faithful, unfaithful. Is that a legitimate thing? That just sounds like Christian theology. <laughs> the Torah is a love story, as we've been looking at for like, almost a year now. That's One right. of the next to the last lesson. Uh, it is a love story. It's all about relationship. Always about relationship. That's the thing that's missing in a lot of times we talk about, the theologies that we talk about when we discuss. It's not wrong to discuss theology. It's fun. Especially with this guy coming in. Uh, it's not Rick Herbin Renner. Uh, it's, it's nice to discuss theology. It is. It's very, it's, it, it's intellectually appealing, but we should never confuse theology or religion with a relationship. And and oftentimes they, that that theology can mask the relationship. People think they have a relationship, but they haven't. So Torah is a love story. How do I describe this relationship? If it's such a if it's such an intense relationship, I can use drugs. Okay. I'm not a drug addict. I've never been a drug addict. But I hear that it's hard to break it. Depends on the drugs in use, but I hear they're hard to break. I had a friend who had surgery on his neck, and he said, the surgery was nothing. Getting off that Oxycontin was like murder. <laughs> so there you go. So how about that? How about you say, a relationship with God is like a drug addiction. <laughs> <laughs> just, just why? Tell me why. Once you've tasted so 
the the relationship and, and the beauty of it, why would you want to give it away? An obsession. Absolutely. You have to have like my body out. has to have it. Yes. That's right. So, if I'm not going to use something as twisted as drugs, what else can I use? Can I use sex? Well, that can be twisted too, but it doesn't have to be. No, in fact, it wasn't intended to be twisted. It was meant to be as a perfect representation of an intense relationship that cannot be matched any other way. So if I'm going to describe the Torah as a love story, or why, if I'm going to describe the Torah as a relationship, why wouldn't I describe it as a love story? Right? Does that make sense? Is there any other way I could describe it that I could convey to you the relationship that's being expressed. I will add something. Yeah. I, I think it can relate to a parent and a child. Absolutely. Very good. Sure. Excellent. What other ones? Shepherd sheep. <laughs> Shepherd sheep. Right. Oh, right. we're on a roll. <laughs> <laughs> but if I were to describe the sweetness of this relationship. Or the Talmud, husband and wife. Oh, I want to say <laughs> turbulent, <laughs> tumultuous, tumultuous, tumultuous relationship. Okay, she's a Latin woman, or she's a Latin. It's a Latin man, right? Sure. Can I add another? Huh? What about parole officer and parolee? Very good. Okay. It's a relationship, not a love relationship, not a very nice feeling. But it describes, but it describes something. Absolutely. What happened? You taught another class years ago, and you described the relationship as dancing. That's right. And But you remember that dancing relationship? It was kind of weird. It was. Stone. It or was. just moving really slow. But... but if you if you've ever learned it is dancing. dancing, it is dancing. You know, one leads, the other you follows. Have to have you have to be close, and yeah, beautiful, beautiful. It's okay, a so, so we're agreeing we're agreeing that at least at the very beginning, can we all agree that the love story relationship seems to be a pretty good way to try and explain our relationship with God? Yes. Rabbi Akiva called Song of Songs the Holy of Holies. In the foreword of this book, which is a great book, I encourage you, if you ever have some money to get, or money laying around, but if you want to buy books, which you should always do, this is a good book. Actually, Gutnick doesn't do this, uh, but I can promise you that that uh, all of the Rebbe's, especially all the Rebbe, would love this. Yes, this is uh, uh, Shir Hasharim. And this is, uh, actually, it's good. It says, a new translation and commentary anth anthologized from the Talmudic, Midrashic, and Rabbinic sources. The primary source, unfortunately, they don't put right on the cover, is Rashi. We will be talking Rashi tonight. We're going to look at Rashi's, if you did your homework, you know this already. We're going to look at Rashi's view of Song of Songs. But Rabbi Akiva called the Song of Songs, and in the foreword of this book, they say, wow, anybody that ever thought this was about some sort of relationship, how dare they? This is the Holy of Holies. Well, that sounds a little bit like maybe some Puritans would also have said, right? So that's the cop-out. People go, well, it's, a, it's, 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 it's an allegory, 
it's all homiletic of some sort. It doesn't really mean what it means. Then there's, of course, the earthy people that go, no, 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 Hebrew is about earthiness. You know, it's about pain and pleasure. We like drinking wine and eating bread. I could go along with that as well. I'm not asking you to make a choice between the two tonight. All I'm asking you tonight is to examine Rashi's commentary on <coughs> Song of Songs and ask yourself, is this a good way of interpreting Scripture? Is this a good way of interpreting Scripture, or is this a good interpretation of Scripture? No, no, no. I'm not asking you to pass. I'm not asking you to pass judgment on the interpretation, on the method. I want you to think about the method, because our discussion is not to arrive at conclusions in the language of the bridegroom. Our discussion is, how do we learn the language, right? I want to be sensitive to the language. So to be sensitive to the language, I have to be, I have to sometimes be creative. Would you agree? Yes. I didn't learn enough in school today, the upang, so I went to the shuk. <laughs> so I could hear some people talking real Hebrew with an Arabic accent. <laughs> so Rabbi Akiva called it the Holy of Holies. Because the intimacy in describing the relationship between Hashem and his people. Most Christian expositors would agree with that. They do. Most do. Especially Spurgeon. Mm -hmm. right. Anybody with a Puritan background is going to love this way of describing it because, whew, that's a relief. <laughs> I don't have to go there. Right? right? It's allegorical. It's, uh, yeah, it's all allegorical. What the sages don't like is the way Christians did with it. Because basically they use song of songs to block out Israel. That's not about you. <laughs> you thought it was about you. <laughs> yeah. No, that was the old woman. We had a new woman. <laughs> All right, so is it literal or is it homiletic? And that's a trick question. Because this is what I want you to consider that we may not, huh? It could be both. It could be both. This is what you may not have ever considered in your literal reading of Scripture. God bless you that you read Scripture literally. Is that we oftentimes, in a in an literal way, read allegory. I'll give you an example. And we're going to go into the rest of these. Don't look at your outline. This is actually a good, good example here. Uh, in, in, this, in, this, in the foreword of the book, he, he, they, they add this example. During the mid-19th century period of the most vicious czarist persecution of Zeus, of Jews, Zeus, I saw a Z. Zeus. <laughs> czarist persecution of Jews, it was common for the leading rabbis to visit St. Petersburg to, believe, to plead the case for their people for the czar's ministers, from, with the czar's ministers. During one of these visits, a Russian official asked a visitor how he could account for the many agotic tales in the Talmud for which were patently inconceivable. You may have asked the same thing. How can we do these things? I mean, come on. Korach is still down there yelling, and if I go to a certain place in, in the land, in, in the, in, near the Sea of Galilee, I him. smell sulfur and hear him calling. And what is he saying? Well, Moses tells the truth, yeah. and Korach is a liar. Um, <laughs> Rabbi answered, you know, well, you know very well that the Tsar and his advisors have often planned to promulgate decrees that would... or." order the expulsion of the entire Jewish population. If God had not mercy on us and thwarted your plans, the decree would have been written and placed before the czar for his signature. He would have dipped his pen in the inkwell and signed. His signature would have made final the greatest Jewish catastrophe in centuries. A poet might write that a drop of ink swept away 
three million people. Mm. All of us would understand what he meant. But a hundred years later, someone might read it and consider it nonsense. In the truth, the expression is apt and pithy. It is only a lack of knowledge that could re lead a reader to dismiss it out of hand. Three million people done away by a drop of ink. So it is with many parables of our sages. They were written in the form of a far-fetched story to conceal their meaning from those who were unqualified to understand. None of us are qualified, so we laugh at the stories instead of lamenting our puny stature. That was the, uh, the great uh, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Huzal. You have not read his books. So, literal or homiletic? Sages taught scripture speaks in similes parables. Uh, we all know that. We read Yeshua's words. We read his parables. We go, well, yeah. We see them as sermon illustrations. No problem. That's good. I like that, actually. I think that's a really good way to look at it because usually with a parable, you're only trying to make one point. No big deal. We're not trying to build an alternate universe where everything has to add up or line up. All you want to do is make the point. Unfortunately, Christianity has taken the parables of Yeshua and created theologies. Like, there's a place called Hades. And it's got a hot side, and it's got a cold side. And the good people go to the cold side. Well, that was until Jesus went there and took them all out. And the bad people go to the hot side. Well, that's where they stay until they get, and all Hades gets thrown, as Revelation tells us, gets thrown into a hotter place. That's right. What are we going to call this place, this cold place? Because, obviously, it's not Hades, is it? Actually, if you read Greek mythology, yeah, it is. <laughs> we'll call it something different, because it doesn't sound right. Hades is something you used to swear with. We'll call it Abraham's We'll call bosom. it Abraham's bosom. Because Yeshua calls it that. No, it does Yeshua doesn't call the place Abraham's bosom. It was at Abraham's bosom. Where's Abraham, by the way? Does anybody know where Abraham sits? Outside the gates of what? Hell. Hell. Gehenna. Gehenna. What does he do outside the gates of Gehenna? Check his check horse. Let me see. <laughs> are you? Are you? Yeah, you? Have you been circumcised? You don't, you don't belong here. This is not for you. He's outside the gates. So this story of Father Abraham, or Father, excuse me, this story of uh, Father Abraham is meant to do what? To indicate that he rightfully understood his children would follow after, and they didn't had no part in the worldly things of of this world, which is the ultimate destination of those who do not love God. Well, that's great. We got, we got no problem with that. So Yeshua's parable, which was a parable, was lining up with that picture. But then, was that even the point of his parable? No, he's using common language. Did I drop that? He's using common language. Everybody knows that about Abraham. So he's telling the story not about a person named Lazarus. He's telling the story for one per single reason. What was it? Do you remember? Repent now. Repent now, yes. But why? He didn't say that. So he could get the so he could get the rich man to say the words that he wanted to tell the people. What were the words? Yeah. Even if, no, Abraham said the words that a rich man challenged him. He says, even if someone were to raise from the dead, they still won't believe. There you go. That was it. That's that. The whole story is about that. And who was that man that raised? That's right. He's talking about himself. How cool is that? Now, instead, we took that whole thing, that cool idea, 
and we created a whole theology that has nothing to do with that idea. Okay, so that's an example of taking a, an allegory or a parable and making it something that it's not. That is not Rashi's intent. It's not the sage's intent. And it's honestly, it's not the intent of a lot of people to do that. Maybe even if their analogy are, are wrong, or if their, their interpretation, rather, is wrong. But the key here is using poetic language. Why do we bother? And I, I brought this up on Shabbat. Why do we bother going to a movie? Two hours to sit through a story you could tell in five minutes. It expresses a truth in a deeper way that reaches us on a level that factual recounting cannot. Not cannot, but will never. You can feel it. The only thing that matters to me when I'm in a movie is, now, maybe, maybe if somebody yells fire, I'll come out of this trance. <laughs> but I'm a part of the movie. It's my experience. I have not flown through the air like Superman, but it sure feels like I could sometimes <laughs> when I'm sitting there watching it, right? So I'm trying to get an experience that's not mine. We go, we, we are, we, the inter, that's the nature of entertainment. We want an experience that's not ours. We want an experience that is ours. And we want to know that other people have the same experience. That's why it's being used. The poetic language is the entertainment that pulls us in. But it's not just entertainment, because as, as you said, we can't get that experience in any other way. Now, if I watch a movie about life, real life, and those are the most shocking, because, wow, this is boring. <laughs> I already had that life, right? I don't want to watch a movie about my life. I want to watch a movie about something I don't normally experience, right? So if I, if I want to explain something best, I'm going to somehow use experiential language with you. That's what poetry does. At its really simple level, literary, the whole literary genre is about enveloping you in experience on the small level with poetry, with thought as you contemplate what you just read or heard. And then on a deeper level, maybe with a maybe with a novel, especially with a literary novel, where it's not simply, you know, guns blazing, but there's actually there's actually texture to the words as you read. It gives you experience beyond simple words, simple facts. That's what poetry does. It's to give a, convey an experience in a way that you can understand something that you otherwise would not be able to understand. And I gave you an example in that homework, the Shakespearean example. But soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon who is already sick and pale with grief that thou, her maid, art far more fair than she. And of course, we know that Shakespeare wasn't, and Romeo wasn't merely trying to describe uh, a sunrise or a moon, but he was trying to point out that even in the nighttime, <laughs> Julia outshone everything, just like the sun outshines the moon. So, does she really outshine? Yeah. I'm sure there was absolutely zero reflection. No, maybe she's kind of pale skin. Maybe a little bit of reflection off her skin, but other than that. No, all those words don't mean. But we don't have any problem reading them and reading them as literal. You understand? They are literal. They're literally explaining an experience. So, can we read Rashi? Uh, actually, this is, this, this is the line that I thought was best for that. Thoughts being conveyed are otherwise indescribable. So, when I read Song of Songs, and it's, it's, it's not gritty, but it's, it's pretty bare. <laughs> you know, it's not 
it's not coarse, but sometimes it tends, if you're not reading it quite right, it's like, wow, that actually is in the Bible. <laughs> and especially if I don't read it in King James English, which tends to tone it down. If I read it in Hebrew, whoa, man. I mean, what are your eyes kind of really explicit? Very explicit. So the sages, are they bothered by this? I disagree with those that say that the sages, this is their, this is their answer to their uncomfortableness. They are gritty people. <laughs> they are. And if you read history of the sages, you know this. They're normal people. They don't got they don't have difficulties with this. Read the Talmud. They don't have difficulties with with you know touchy subjects at all. It doesn't have to be euphemized. They don't have to. They can speak it right out, man. <laughs> so I don't think that anywhere is this the, their intent. Certainly not Rashi, because Rashi goes to great extents. So let's look at the poetry. It's written in poetry in order to describe the relationship. In a relationship experience that is otherwise indescribable. And that's why I want you to focus on Rashi's words, because if you start thinking about this, especially if you're married, but even if you're not married and you intend to be married, especially if you intend to be married and you already know that person, it's, it's easy to see that there's an obsession here. Even if you've been married almost 35 years like me, there's an obsession. I'm sorry, there just is. I can't get away from it. <laughs> she follows me around. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. The simplest song, and this, this is what I want you, Peter, this is special for you. The simplest meaning is that of a Jewish wedding and a marriage shared by those living a Torah life. Do you agree with that? Yes. I don't, agree. I don't agree with it quite. Simplest meaning. But living a Torah life? They is it possible? They didn't do anything. Actually, I think, I think for the most part it's true, but you at times it has the shade of people who are not married. Would you agree? I don't know. I can't say that I'm fully, you know, fully read. Yeah, fully read it? What, what were you doing for the last year that we've been doing this study? I gave you a heads up. <laughs> All right. So Rashi says, Solomon composed. Actually, that's just a repeat of what we already did. And actually, that wasn't a quote of Rashi. It's a, it's a paraphrase. Art Scrolls paraphrase of Rashi's forward to the book. All right. So let's get right into it. Song of Songs, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Somebody read that to me in a good translation. ESV. Oh. I'm sorry, there is no Gudnik for this, so you'll have to read it. Actually, there is, but I don't have it with me. Because um, it's part of the new one, right? I have it. Please. The song of... No, is he allowed to read that he's singing? Is it ESV? It is. Okay, that's nearly inspired. That's good. <laughs> that's as close to inspiration as we'll come tonight. The song of songs, which is Shlomo's. These are... Uh, these um, headings, are they part of the scripture? Uh, you're welcome she... to read the headings. I have no problem with that. Go ahead. That's, Go ahead. that's not a heading. No, that they're... actually is the title from the Hebrew as well. It does. The she part? She it is others, feminine, yes. She it's based okay. upon the pronouns. Gotcha. Yes. Okay, so she. Oh, boy. Let him, let, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine, your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. Draw me after you, let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Was so back in the late 90s, this would have been uh, <laughs> Justin Timberlake. 
others. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. She, I am very dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Okay, in the mechanical reading, I didn't say literary, in the mechanical reading of that, I would say that she's not Jewish. Or if she is, she's from southern Judah. <laughs> no, she's very dark. I guess Jews, some Jews are dark today, but that's maybe just because a lot of intermarriage in, in uh, Arab lands. Or, I, don't I know. thought the darkness was implying she'd been outside working in the vineyards. I think so too, yes. So she's not, she's not, a, she's not a cultured lady. She's probably got calluses on her hands. What else? She likes the man. She likes the guy. Uh, we, we learn later on the man is definitely Solomon. The woman is unnamed. We can only make an assumption in the mechanical reading that the woman is the same woman all the way through. Although we never know that for sure. Okay? What else do we know about in the mechanical reading about the relationship that this woman has with this man? Is he an ugly guy? Unattractive? No. Not to her. Oops. So this is a popular dude. And it's somebody that other girls want too, mm -hmm. not just her. Okay. He has an oily name, so most likely Italian. <laughs> and the vineyard part? Vineyard. <laughs> Tell us about the vineyard. No, no, okay, okay, yeah. But mechanical <laughs> reading, a mechanical reading. She's just, she's, she's picking grapes, man. Well, the, the comparison, uh, he's, he's almost put up. Uh, he's compared to wine and, and, and other delicacies, perhaps. Well, no, no, I'm just taking, I'm just taking, yeah, well, she compares him to that, so she's using poetic Better language, yeah, okay. What about okay. verse two? He smells nice. He smells nice, literally. I, I'm trying to not use him literally, because I want to encourage you. Is verse two mechanically accurate? Huh? Is verse two, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. It's like, whoa, wait a minute, are we married or not? That's where it comes into question, because later on, she's like, oh, I wish that we were brother and sister. Then we can kiss all the time. <laughs> That's even weirder. <laughs> That's so but wonderful. here it's like, well, if they're not married, then this either could be a, you could say, well, this is simply yearning. And this courtship thing is really off track. <laughs> they, they're backslidden. That's right. <laughs> or if it is mechanical, then, and they're not married, then I'm I'm not trying to persuade you. I'm just trying to show you that it's it's as or more. And we get deeper into that. I promise. There's other problems. It's as or more difficult to accept accept a Literal. mechanical understanding of this as it is to accept an allegorical. Well, look. If it's mechanical, thank you for using that word, guys. I appreciate that. Yeah. If it's a mechanical understanding, then then the 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 woman in this story obviously has a desire for the man. Yes. Verse 2. Very good. Um, if it's allegorical, the woman obviously has a desire for the man. Wow. And is this a guy that's desirable? <laughs> um, Everybody yeah. would recognize it. He's Therefore, the, virgin he's the best. Yeah. Absolutely. We're going to find out later if it's a mechanical reading. This woman, if it's the same woman, is actually very young. Very young. Not too young. 
Oh, very It's interesting in terms of desire, and we talked about the grittiness of those that wrote the Talmud. This may have been considered appropriate during that period of time. But during Jesus' time, the idea of desiring a woman was like committing adultery. Of course. But then later on in the Talmud, it was written that there's something called Nagia. You're not even supposed to touch That's right. a woman. But consider that, not supposed to touch, Against to what that. it says here. That's right. Look at the transition. Same people, though. That's the key, same people. So we have to ask ourselves, and I'm not trying to get you to make a decision which way, because I think it can be both, but I want you to consider that an allegorical or a uh, poetic reading can be literal. So here's, the, here's what Washi says for that same verse, verses one through six, chapter one. The song that excels all songs dedicated to God, the king who, to whom peace belongs. So God's demand. Communicate your innermost wisdom to me, and in loving closeness for your friendship. It's a little scripture, a lot of commentary. So the friendship is dearer than all earthly delights. Wine. Wine. <laughs> like the scent, smell, like the scent of goodly oils is the spreading fame of your great deeds. Your very name is flowing oil. Therefore have nations loved you. Upon perceiving a mere hint that you wished to draw me, we rushed with perfect faith after you. Onto the wilderness, the king brought me into his cloud-pillared chamber. Whatever our travail, we shall always be glad and rejoice in your Torah. We recall your love more than earthly delights. Unrestrained, unrestrained, unrestrainedly do they love you. Though I am black with sin, Uncomely with virtue. O nations who are destined to ascend to Jerusalem, though sullied as the tents of Kedar, I will be immaculate as the draperies of Shlomo. Oh, that's a cool way. Do not view me with contempt despite my swarthiness. Uh, Rashi had a different view of swarthiness than me. Swarthy to me is like a really big, dark guy. Sweaty. A big mustache. Sweaty guy. <laughs> a woman with a mustache. A woman with a mustache. A sweaty woman with a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rashi lived in a We're different age. Like Maybe that was popular. <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting off track here. <laughs> Do not view me with contempt despite my swarthiness, for it is but the sun. Which has, which has glared upon me. That's pretty good. Actually, it's kind of neat. You know, it's like God is compassionate to us. Why? Because he understands we're but dust. That's like kind of that idea. So what Rashi's done is he's simply given some other poetic words. They are poetic words. To the poetry of those verses. Rashi didn't have to grasp at it. He didn't make it up. He got it from a bunch of other people. But most of the men of his time and earlier, especially in the days of the Midrash, seven or you know, sixth, seventh, eighth century, the common era, they read it and they go, well, we got no problem understanding what that is. We know exactly what's going on. Yeah. That's why they agree. Yeah. Questions, comments on those verse, verses first. It's interesting that we can if you're used to reading this as the majority of modern commentators do is the mechanical this is not allegory in any way. To hear it allegorically can be can sound strange until we Absolutely. realize that even the visible expression of the church interpreted it allegorically 
for 1,500 years. That's right. That's right. Only recently have they switched, maybe because of the popularity, popularity of Christian bookstores wanting to advertise sexy <coughs> stuff. And so it's really interesting, though, to hear some Christian interpretations. You kind of read this, you're like, ah, okay, I can, I can maybe buy that. But with this, it's like, yeah, that's, that seems to fit it's very intense. well. We were, we're describing an intense longing on the part of the man, Hashem, and on the part of this young woman. Intense longing. that can't be described any other way. Mm. Except if you've experienced that, boy, I know what that feels like. That experience, and even just in these first opening introductory verses, makes it uh, all the more clear to me. I mean, I've read this a few times. Uh, you know, it's not a, you know one of your frequent. Yeah, I'm going to read Song of Solomon today. I hope you're reading a Passover song. I, I absolutely every week. But it's right. How much just from the few comments that we've heard already. I think it's it's really important to understand that. Uh, I think in a lot of Jewish, you know. Uh, study halls that they don't allow the young men to begin study of this until they are married. Absolutely. And and just that the understanding of that depth of that of that relationship, that intimacy that that we've already seen at just in these introductory verses, it one can't comprehend that. You, can't you know, it's it's not us that made up this relationship that God revealed to us as a relationship between husband and wife. I mean, that's the language he uses, starting right off the bat in Exodus, right? So, the song that excels all songs, Israel to Hashem, communicate your innermost wisdom to me. Again, in loving closeness, the whispers. Treat the Torah words as, as lovers' whispers. Israel to the nations, though I'm black with sin. Isn't that interesting? I find it very interesting, because there's the notion that Judaism does not believe in original sin, which is true. But that somehow means that Judaism doesn't believe in personal sin, which is absolutely unbelievably false. All right, let's look at verse, somebody read verses, chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. Here we go. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you ornaments of gold studded with silver. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. So I have a question before we get into the mechanical understanding of that. Uh, oh. <laughs> um, really? Mm -hmm. yeah. What do women... You're in chapter two. Chapter two. Well, actually, that was pretty good too. Oh, oh I, was, I was still in one. Actually, but I want to I want to pause for a second because actually this is going to come up later. So, what do women wear perfume for? What do women wear perfume for? Depends on which culture. All cultures. To smell good. Have to be attractive. What is to smell good? To appeal to them. Some women wear stuff that smells like rotten eggs. Not only in other cultures, but right. it's to smell good. Yeah. Okay. So, what do I care about smelling good? I, I think they do it to be pleasant to be around. You think that's it? You think that's only it? No. I'm not saying people no. cognitively go that. Why do human beings want of this human species want to smell good? To entice To attract. attract. To attract, but more importantly than attracting. Attraction is not the only reason. Attraction is only a small uh, part of it. Memory. Memory. It's the same reason. It's, about, it's about establishing patterns that are 
cannot be found anywhere else. More powerful memory patterns through our sense of smell yeah. than even drugs. I mean, like really powerful for memory. That's true. Yeah, I notice that in a lot of stores or hotels you stay in, and even some mega churches now are trying to do the scent thing. Where the you, churches are? Yeah, where you, it smells like, like a, a hotel. Church, so you come, you know. Hopefully it's a good experience. Just sm- the church, new church well, it's smell? True. <laughs> 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 I remember the day yes. of my grandmother's house right this morning because she was always baking. And so you walk into the house and there was just always this permanent, you know, kind of baking smell. Gravy smell. I smell, I, if I smell I eucalyptus, smell I, I can think of my grandparents' <laughs> house in Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> 45 years ago, yeah. more than that, 50 yeah. years ago. Because yeah. their bathroom always smelled like methylitis. <laughs> that's a bad That's a bad memory. I mean, you get good and bad memories. But it's good, pleasant memories. That's exactly right. You're establishing memories. Hit young men, early marrieds. This is very important. Doesn't seem like it would be important. It's very important. Establish memories. Establish memories every single way that you can. Amen. And scent is one of them. And then do it for your kids. That's right. I got chapter 2, 10. Thank you very much. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beauty, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. Well, that was very sweet. That was all. Yeah, okay, that was, like, that was lovey-dovey, not too bad. Um, another thing about this book is great. Rashi's the text. The commentary is not Rashi. And the commentary is all of Messianic reference. Rashi doesn't tend to go very Messianic. Very. Why is it important that Rashi wrote this text? Anybody know? Why is it significant that he would write an allegorical interpretation as the text for Song of Songs? He's not an allegory guy. He's not an allegory guy. He's a little guy. He wants it mechanical. (coughs) There's times when Rashi's not mechanical. When is it? When it's messianic. He allegorizes it away. He does. That's exactly right. And why? And why? Because Rashi lives in Catholic France. And it's his constant trouble and consternation. These people just want to debate every single thing. They just buy my wine. They got to debate me. They keep sending, you know, preachers. The Pope sends people to talk to, right? Yeah. So Rashi's sensitive to that. But here, he's gone for this interpretation, which is dramatic. I mean, it really is. For Rashi to say this stuff is pretty amazing. But the commentary, just to encourage you, the commentary, man, it's got tons and tons of messianic stuff. Tons of messianic stuff. So, what do you think? That wasn't too off-color. Right? It didn't use nard, which is one of my favorite words. Well, no, that was actually previous on the previous verse. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, we left the nard away. That would have been a good discussion. I would have remembered that. <laughs> Here's Rashi. My beloved called out. So if you have your text, follow along with me here. My beloved called out, the, the, your text of your Bible, rather. My beloved called out and said to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and go forth. For the winter of bondage has passed. Mm. Oh, that's cool. The deluge of suffering is over and gone. Mm. 
the commentary here is very messianic. Ooh, this must be the times of Messiah. Mm -hmm. The righteous blossoms are seen in the land. The time of our song has arrived, and the voice of your guide is heard in the land. Remember she talks about his voice? The fig tree has formed its small first small figs, ready for ascent to the temple. The vines are in blossom, their fragrance declaring they are ready for libation. Arise, my love, my fair one, and go forth. O oh, my dove, tra trapped at the sea, as if in the clefts of the rock, the concealment of the terrace, sh terrace show me your prayerful gaze. This is, this is Hashem. Prayer, show me your prayerful gaze, and let me hear your supplicating voice. For your voice is sweet, and your countenance is comely. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the thought? Have you thought about the thought, how God must be drawn to his people? We say we're the smallest of people. We have, we have nothing in us that would make us desirable. We know that. But he finds us desirable. That's just a remarkable thought. How would you convey that if you didn't use poetic language? Mm. I can say it doesn't mean anything. God, he's king of the universe. He has need of nothing. Yet we are describing a man who needs this woman. Right? Israel says, and then they, she quotes him. My beloved called out and said, Arise, my love. So all of that was a quote. She's quoting what he said to her. When did he say that to her? When did he say this stuff to her? Yeah. The Torah and the prophets are these words. Poetically. God said these things to Israel. How else can we explain you know, we like to explain it away with, well, God keeps his word. Which makes it all sound very crass. There's no love in that. I'm sorry, there just is. You know, I'm sorry, the judge made me do it, and I'm going to do it because I said I would. And if I don't do it, then I'm going against my word. There's nothing like that. God doesn't do things simply because he said he would. God does things because everything is his will. He wants to. I agree with that. Although I would say the fact that He's bound by his word. He is bound by his word. Or the fact that and it's the he should be bound by our word. That's right. Should allow somebody to take comfort. And his his name is the highest reason for his reason doing things. But we should simply shouldn't shove it away right. and say, well, that's done with, and it's it's all very cold. It really is. That's not at all God. If God's about a relationship, it's not about coldness. Right. It's about it's about fierce love. Fierce. How do I say fierce? How's a fierce love? I'm not just saying passion, fierce love. Why is it fierce love? He hates Israel's enemies. He hates them. He says he does. He's jealous. And he's jealous. And he hates when Israel is unfaithful to him. He hates that. Why? Because it's a relationship. Right? It's not simply I said I would and so I have to. Although, again, his name is the highest reason for his faithfulness. The young brown belt. Mm -hmm. He saluted me. I don't think that's a brown belt. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Somebody get Judah an outline. Can I just uh, raise a point? Yes, You're talking about the blossom there. And I think about the story that Jesus told about the seed in four different areas. But there was good some seed. seed on good soil. And you would think it was seed that listened to his word. So that sort of maps to this. But the irony is that this was written about a thousand years before 
Jesus said, but yet this is about what happens after That's right. Jesus. Isn't that exactly. interesting? It it's is. more shadows. It is. We're on, uh, we're on Song of Songs, verse 4, Judah, so find down the chapter 4, verse 6. Somebody read Song of Songs, chapter 4, verses 6 through 12 okay. in your mechanical version, please. <clears throat> None of them are mechanical. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinir, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of the leopards. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine, and the fragrance of your perfume than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like that of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Wow. That's, that's passion. But even if you take a mechanical reading, what's wrong with a mechanical reading? Apart from the not being married part? Well, that. What else? The sister bride? The sister bride. Well, that's a problem. What else? Yeah. <laughs> but that's not a problem in the sense of believers. Hold on. Yeah, but yeah. Well, so that'd be an explanation. Think, I mean, okay. From what I understand, the word for sister in Hebrew yeah. carries with it. It's an intimate relationship with someone who's not who who doesn't have to not have your gender. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be literally your sister. In fact, I've been told that you shouldn't use that word in modern Hebrew. To refer to like like you could say, "Hey, brother, how are you doing?" You shouldn't do that to other women because that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Isn't it interesting in the Catholic Church, women that take vows to be nuns? that become brides of Christ are called sisters. Even in the Protestant, that's true church. I mean, this young man calls me Brother Greg all the time. Because <laughs> that's the tradition of his background. We're trying, to, we're trying to break him of that, but it's, it's, it's a long time. How about another problem? This, <laughs> is not, this is the king writing this, and he's talking about Mount Hermon. Now, we just heard that She's not from northern Israel. She's not from northern Israel. And she's in Lebanon. And now she's up near Lebanon? <laughs> yeah. And what else? She's living in a cave with leopards? I mean, oh, yeah. as long as she's in the vineyard, and now she's leopard woman. So she's like a Tarzan. <laughs> Amazon. She's very earthy. She's earthy. Well, we knew that she was earthy anyway. She, she picks grapes, right? And she's nardy. We didn't have the word nard, but there it's there. <laughs> So we understand the poetic language. We, you know, even if you read it mechanically, you have to know that there's poetic language in it. You don't take everything. You don't take everything literal. You just don't. No one does. You can't. It's it's interesting that what the way he describes the sweetness of the honeycomb and the milk and honey in relation to the tongue that always reminds me of Proverbs five and how we should beware of women of such of such nature. Absolutely. Now I was going to bring that up with regard to fragrance. We see the same. We see that we see the enemy using the same tools for this for a similar purpose to create a relationship, to draw. 
unfortunately, it's a bad purpose because it's to draw us away from our true love, right? So, you know, the, the, the notion that somehow that because fragrance can do that, that it somehow has a negative connotation is very unfortunate. And I know it's, in popular culture, it's very easy to come away with that. I mean, everything's not perception. You know? But if you see that, you kind of go, wow, maybe that's not good stuff. We need to stay away from all that kind of idea. You know, we can all just wear black and white and smell a little bit like B.O. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Memories. Otherwise, we might <laughs> we might succumb to being a little bit too sensual. Oh, he was uh, French. Now, I just want to uh, mention in terms of the bride. Uh, Solomon talked about the bride of one's youth. And in uh, Christian replacement theology, the uh, Christian church is considered the Israel. replacement for Israel or the later bride, it's but Israel church. is the early bride. Right. And then Solomon said, go back to the bride of your youth. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> well, never mind. Uh-huh. <laughs> Supersession is a chance stand, stand on any James leg, James much James. less two <laughs> legs. Yeah. Yeah. Verse, verse 12 has me just completely befuddled. Okay, read it again. Too. A, maybe I'm not, you know, uh, a, a poet here. Mm. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked. A fountain sealed. I just, I need to hear what Rashi says because I just don't. Well, okay, um, don't but you got to tell me the mechanical reading first. You got to come up with a mechanical reason. Well, I saw him a little confused. Hebrew, what, anybody got Hebrew there? What you mean by mechanical reading? Though? When I say mechanical, I'm saying reading it, I'm trying to avoid using the word literal so we're because I don't want us to use the word literal incorrectly. We're, we're allowed to make use of the metaphor. No. 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 That would be non mechanical. Mechan- a mechanical translation is a word-for-word translation from one language to another. So literally, my sister is a locked garden. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Like herbage. Exactly. Herbage. Okay. Or exactly. So you understand the problem. You see the problems. Virginity. Virginity. Well, virginity so great. Would not so be even if I start, well, no, no, wait, start with mechanical. That's where I would have gone. Take one layer away. Okay, we can start using a little metaphor to be able to convey something. See, this is the problem that we have in Scripture. People can't say, well, I just read the Scripture literally. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you do. And actually, I, pres- I appreciate what you mean by that. But you don't. So we have lush, but, infernal foliage. Of course we read it <laughs> with an understanding language. If you've ever heard me say anything, I heard, hope you've heard me say, God speaks in the language of men for a reason. He speaks through men, imperfect men, for a reason. Because he wants to be understood by men. Well, women too. So if you take a layer away, then you're removing the virginity. <laughs> exactly. Okay. There you go. See. So if I can get, if I can get one past the mechanical, just a little bit, just, I'm still playing the game. And like, well, how far do I go? Right. Am I? Am I? You tell me. You're the one that was giving me grief over this. You tell me. Am I getting too far away from the little when I do that? Or no, I don't. I don't think so. I just think. <laughs> I mean, you can't take it mechanically for sure. Because that would be stupid. It would be. I agree. <laughs> but this verse for sure. It's like, what? What does this mean? Let's work with that. Jesus talked about being born again. Remember he had that conversation? You can't be born again. That's insane. But yeah. that's what this refers to. It's exactly. That Israel be born again. It's right. Virgin again. That's right. That the fountain will be Isn't that something? Yeah, very good. So maybe this is what Jesus was thinking of. Maybe. He's speaking the language. He knows the guy how to talk, right? All right. So, 
Here's Rashi. Yeah, let's get to Rashi, my Oh, I see. Everybody wants to skip ahead to Rashi. <laughs> this is Hashem speaking. Oh, it's complicated. This is Hashem speaking. Until my sunny benevolence was withdrawn from Shiloh. Where was, when was that? Remember the promise? Eli, Eli, right? Okay. Until my sunny benevolence was withdrawn from Shiloh and the protective shadows were dispersed by your sin, I will go to Mount Moriah and the Hill of Frankincense, where you will be completely fair, my beloved. So what's that alluding to? Solomon's writing this. It's in his lifetime, or in his mere historical experience. But what's interesting is the last verse, myrrh was mentioned. Now we're gonna get frankincense is mentioned. Talk we're gonna get the there's two so, or three gifts. So Mount Moriah being like the place of the temple. The temple. Right. So right. the presence is removed, the presence is gonna come back. Exactly. So he says the hill of frankincense where you're completely fair, my beloved, and no blemish will be in you. With me will you be exiled from the temple. Wait, we don't yes. even have a temple yet. O bride, with me from the temple until you return. Well hold on, but we don't have a temple yet. That's right. Solomon, who's going to build the temple, if he's thinking Rashi's thinking here as he's writing these words, that's pretty profound. That's prophetic. I'm going to build this temple. Our sin's going to, with God's presence, is going to withdraw from this just like it did at Shiloh. But do we, do we, do we know that this was written before he built the temple? It's about the same time. Yeah. And, and, and even if it was, David had already, had already made preparations. That was right. definitely on the... So he's being... But if, if he, and I'm not saying he does, but if he has any set of kind of an idea like Rashi does here, he's got to be thinking, wow, that's really cool. Oops. Well, <laughs> it's happened before. It's going to happen again. The Hebrew is Lebanon. Yeah. What is Which Lebanon? Is, well, it's the, the temple. All, all the wood. It, it, it's because the, the sweaters of Lebanon are right. the wood that was used. Uh-huh. So Lebanon is another name. For, for you to really actually appreciate Rashi, you'd have to spend a year, or Rashi's uh, anthol- or, uh, allegory here, you'd have to spend a year studying this, because that's exactly the case. He just nothing, he's not making stuff up. He's actually, he's not going, well, I think this would work. He actually has a reason. He comes to Lebanon and he goes, well, we know what Lebanon is. That's the temple. Right. That's why he's Russian. Yeah. That's why he's Russian. <laughs> he knows it by heart. <laughs> that's amazing. So, with me will you be exiled from the temple, O bride. With me from the temple until you return, then to contemplate the fruits of your faith. Now he's seeing God's withdrawal from the temple in a future time as being similar to the withdrawal from Shiloh because of sin. And he recognizes, as all the sages did, that even in exile, Messiah is with him. He's still there. He's exactly right. With Excellent. Okay. It says, until you return. And the assumption is they will. But let's just worry about the fruits of one's faith. When we first hear about fruit in Genesis, it was the fruit that led to what? Led to sin, right? Led Although to being exiled. Now this is just the opposite. To. It didn't have to. It could have been a fruit for righteousness. Right. Could have eaten from the tree of life, life as opposed to the tree of knowledge. No, he chose Plato. He chose poorly. Right. <laughs> the idea was that that fruit was a vehicle that led to sin. This right. fruit is a vehicle that leads into the opposite. Exactly. Contemplate the fruits of your faith from its earliest beginnings, from your first arrival at the summit of Sneer, and the mountains, and the mountain of Hermon, the lands of the mighty Sichon and Og. What's he talking about there? Yeah, huh? Well, no, with Sichon and Og, who's he talking about? What's he talking about? He's talking about the first 
first coming into the land. Right. 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 Oh, when we had Moab. That's right. That's exactly right. As impregnable as impregnable dens of lions and mountains of leopards. Oh. Cool is that? Yeah. So he sees leopards and lions as a reference to Og and Sichon. You captured my heart, my sister. Oh, O'Brien, uh, you captured my heart, but with one of your virtues, with but one of the precepts that adorn you like beads of a necklace resplendent. How fair was your love in so many settings, my sister, O'Brien. So, so superior is your love to wine, and your spreading fame to all perfumes. The sweetness of Torah drops from your lips like honey and milk. It lies under your tongue. Your very garments are scented with precepts, like the scent of Lebanon. As chaste as a garden locked, my sister O'Bride, a spring locked up, a fountain sealed. So she's not rigid, she's reserved for one. Mm -hmm. well, what's interesting, though, is she's, on the one hand, she's not chaste, because he's, he's already said, look, because of your sin... I've left Shiloh, right? But he calls her back. But he calls her chaste. But he calls her chaste, and which, which is what the prophet said. Absolutely. That God himself will remove all your iniquity. In fact, not only remove it, so that when we read in Ezekiel 37, he, they're going to be like the pinnacle of virtue. No blemish will be. No blemish. Pure. Not just erased. Pure. Hmm. Like and the Paul. nations will say that. Uh, let me mention also, the last thing we read uh, for the Sabbath was about Shiloh, was the blessing that was right. given by mm -hmm. Jacob. But what's interesting is, here, Shiloh really refers to the Messiah, but this refers to leaving Shiloh right. as That's a right. sin, which yes. suggests that when the people abandoned the Messiah, that was the sin. So this is sort of a denouement, if I can. But I, I, would, I, I'd have to, I have to look into, I don't know if it's the same spell, Shiloh's it's one of the, I think, different place. Because there's a debate on what Shiloh exactly. means in the Talmud with regard to the spelling. Because so I don't know if it can it's spelled the same as the place. And also it can be his too. Yeah. yeah because right. actually there's it's uh, whether the word's damaged. And there's no resolution to that. Yeah. There's no this wrong spelling. Anyway, let's move on. That's a good point though. All right. Let's. Uh, we're getting close. I, I wish you could have done the whole thing. It was wonderful. <laughs> I had a great time. It was really cool reading last year. But the uh, Song of Songs 16. You can. Huh? You have a Kumash. Yeah, you can, yes. It's in the Kumash as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if you're reading into Passover time, that is what you should be reading. You should be reading Rashi. Honestly, you should. I mean, you can read King James, good, cool. But then you need to read Rashi. <laughs> Otherwise, it won't have any correlation to Passover. <laughs> uh, Song of Songs 416b through 5-6. Somebody read that for me, if you would, please. Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its, its choicest fruits. He, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my mirth with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Others, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. She, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for the head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had 
put off my garment, how could I put it on? I had bathed my feet, how could I soil them? I, my beloved, put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with mirth, my fingers my liquid mirth, on the handles of my belt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. Okay, so let's leave the mechanical just as a little hair here. <clears throat> You've already heard what Rashi's doing. What do you think Rashi's going to do here? What's being described? Is a relationship that's maturing and becoming closer, or something else? Well, sounds like there's some friction. There's yeah, distance. There's a little bit of... They're missing each other. They're, they're separating. Missing each other. Yeah, in fact, you see that a lot through chapter 4 and 5. It's like, I was here and you were there. Why aren't we ever together? I think the milk and the wine mentioned together is also reminiscent of this past week's portion also when it spoke of, you know, the, their eyes will be red with wine and their teeth white with milk. It's got some little romance there. Messianic day. Typically find those two mentioned very often in scripture together. Frankly, I don't know why I started with 16b because I need to read Paul 16. Anything else on that? The mechanical rendering, <coughs> not to be real difficult except... Okay, so Solomon, there was this unknown girl. Wow, man, he had a thousand wives and concubines, and he's chasing this one girl. He never gets married to her, apparently. He's always wanting to get married to her, but she's like, what, what a term, you know, what a tumultuous relationship. It's like, you know, did they ever really have a relationship? Apparently, it's just some sort of puppy love or something. You know? Infatuation. Infatuation. Obsession. Girl 1001. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> you know. Solomon has this down. He's uh, he's using language that everyone through the history of humanity can somehow relate to, even if it's not your culture. This is a culture we want to be relating to, though. So let's read what Rashi says here, starting in verse sixteen. A, awake from the north and come from the south. Like the winds, let my exiles return to my garden. What was garden? Did you, did you get a glimpse of what garden was that Rashi would think the garden is? What's the, what do you think Rashi thinks is the garden? Temple of the courtyard. Temple of the courtyard. He's going to do a little shift here. Listen. Return to my garden. Let their fragrance, fragrant goodness flow in Jerusalem. But let my beloved come to his garden and enjoy his precious people. Mm. To your tabernacle dedication, my sister O'Brien. This is God speaking now. Excuse me. Hashem speaking to uh, Israel. To your tabernacle dedication, my sister O'Bride. I came as if uh, to my garden. I gathered my myrrh. In other words, the temple was a replacement for the tabernacle. It was not the same as. It was, it was accepted as the same as, but it wasn't his garden at first. He accepted it as his garden. Well, and really, this pulls, it's also pulling on imagery of the original garden. Exactly. Forgotten Eden, which was this place where there was prior to the fall of Adam and Chava, there was this perfect relationship. You know, they were they were together. They walked. You know, God would walk with them. And Solomon knows this this imagery because he builds the temple much like the tabernacle. Not completely, obviously, it's different dimensions and everything. But even the adornments inside, they're not exactly the same as the tabernacle, 
but they're similar. He puts palm trees. He puts, uh, he has uh, olive, of course, but he has palm trees and he has uh, carob everywhere, which the tabernacle had as well. well. Why is there carob in there? It's not because angels are around God. <laughs> they are, but that's not the reason why. It's supposed to remind us that the way to the tree of life is guarded. That's why it's on the, it's on the, uh, on the, on the curtain uh, leading to the Holy of Holies. Good, very good. I came to my garden. I gathered my myrrh with my spices uh, from, from your princely incense. Now, God is speaking to Israel. From your princely incense, I accepted you unbidden as well as your bidden offerings to me. I drank your libations as pure milk. Eat, my beloved priests. It says, eat, my friends. Eat, my beloved. Who are the friends of God? Levi. Eat, my beloved priests. Drink and come. God intoxicated, oh, friends. That's pretty good. Let my devotion slumber, but the God of my heart, this is Israel, excuse me. Let, I let my devotion slumber, but the God of my heart was awake. Sounds like Paul in chapter 7 of Romans. You know, I wanted to, but I, I fell asleep. You know, I wanted to, but part of me wants to, and part of me doesn't. Or Yeshua speaking to his disciples on the, on the night of his, of his death. Uh, open my heart to me, my sister, my love. Excuse me. No, wait, excuse me. But the God of my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved knocks. And then she hears. Open, no, actually, yeah, she hears him speaking. Open your heart to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfection. Admit me, and my head is filled with dew-like memories of Abraham. Spurn me, and I bear collections of punishing rains as exile nights. I have doffed my, my robe of devotion. How can I, this is her speaking now, how can I don it? I've washed my feet that trod your path. How can I soil them in anger at my recalcitrance? My beloved set forth his hand from the portal in wrath, and my intestines churned with longing for him. I rose to open for my beloved, my hands dripping myrrh, dripped of myrrh, repentant devotion to Torah and God, and my fingers flowing with myrrh to remove the traces of my foolish, foolish rebuke from the handles of the lock. I opened. I opened for my beloved, but alas, my beloved had turned his back on my plea and God. My soul departed at his decree. I sought his closeness, but I could not find it. I beseeched him, but he would not answer. Do you know Israel's history? What do you think this was? Exile. It began in not just Babylonian exile, because that was 70 years. We're talking about the exile of, of 70 of the common era. And then all of the years of diaspora since right, right. a you know nineteen hundred plus year exile. It's like wait, I was ready. I repented. I came. I knew it was my fault. I knew the relationship was broken because of my infidelity, and I'm here now. Where are you? He let he, he's left. He's turned his back. What should the bride do? What should the woman do? Oh well, let me find it. We have all the names here of what we just read. It's, it is really, I mean, it's almost its almost Shakespearean, isn't it? The picture that's being played out here. I mean, why is Romeo and Juliet, Juliet so popular? It's not because of stupid 14-year-olds. <laughs> all right. It's not. Well, not all 14-year-olds are stupid, but they were stupid. You know, it's not because of that. Why? Why is it so popular? Because it conveys an obsession that we can't explain. 
right? So, let's move on, chapter six. We're almost done. Somebody read chapter six, verse two through four for me. Got it. She, my beloved, has gone down to his garden to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. He. You are beautiful as Tirzah, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army of banners. Okay, you can see mechanical reading where just we can read really You have to leave it now. <laughs> <laughs> she's all over the place. She's in she's in the desert, she's in the vineyards, she's in the Mount Hermon, she's in a leopard's cave. <laughs> Now she's in Jerusalem. Well, that ought to put an end to it. She's only got a thousand other women to get get past to get to Solomon, right? Anything else? There's something interesting. Anila Dodi, the Dodi Lee. That's right. And yes. the month of Elul, the month of repentance. This is this is the Kabbalist reading. Whoa, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I am to my beloved as my beloved is to me. Recited at weddings. That's right. And, and as we always see, it's always the call to repentance. Elul is the call to repentance. I need to tell the Yeah. All right. Yes, and it is recited at like that. Which is what inspires you. And, and this is also, um, the uh, Shio Shalim is also recited prior to uh, making Kiddush on Friday nights, and right. Right, as well as the prayers that go before it, Lechadodi, which are all. All um, dovetailing off of this, and it's funny because then the, the the song that we also do, Kochavim uh, Balayla, a lot of the Laila parts come come from the song. It as well. So it's almost yeah. like they're, they're bookends for the Shabbat. It's very well. true, very true. Which which stands to reason if you think about it, because what are we doing on Shabbat? We're remembering Passover. Yeah. Why is the Passover important? Well, we are free from prison. No, that wasn't why the Passover is important. Why the Passover is important is the King of the Universe came and said He wants us as His people. That's cool. And he did everything he could to, to, to make us his people. Yeah. And so what is Shabbat? It's that little picture of the Passover story expressed as a, as a hint of what is to come. This is, Future. This is almost like Yeshua is being out there. He, he was bouncing all over the place. He was here. He was, he was preaching here and there. And finally, he was among us. He's in Jerusalem. That's true. That's true. We're ending up in Jerusalem. All right, I'm going to read from Rashi here before I get pass out. Chapter 6, verse 2 through 4. My beloved has descended to his temple garden. This is Israel speaking. My beloved has descended to his temple garden, to his incense altar. Yet still he grazes my brethren, remaining in gardens of exile, to gather the rosent fragrance of their words of Torah. I alone am my beloved. My beloved is, beloved is mine. He who grazes his sheep in rows like pastures. Hashem, you are beautiful, my love. When your deeds are pleasing, as comely now, as once you were in Jerusalem of old, hosts of angels stand in awe of you. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. So what would this be describing, though? What's Rashi trying to convey? The relationship, obviously, but he's using this language that also speaks prophetically. You may not have ever thought of Song of Songs as prophetic, but that's what Rashi's doing here. Why is this prophetic? How is this prophetic? 
This is a vision of a time when the temple is restored. But there still is a diaspora, which means there is something you are still waiting for. Oh, Rashi is writing this a thousand years before after Messiah we even have a land. And a thousand years before you know any of this, right? So he's talking about him in the future coming back to his temple garden. Yeah. And yet he mentions that uh, he's they're still spread. They're yeah. still his they're, your brethren are still there and they have to be drawn in. Yeah. Pretty cool. It's, it's so cool. Uh, Jesus also said, My sheep know who I am, and I know who my sheep are. Mm-hmm. That sort of corresponds yeah, to that's right. Yeah. I might have loved my Graces and the, and, the, and the idea of fields. Of course, the Kabbalists who first came back to the land of Israel in the, in the 18, uh, 1700s, they, you know, up in spot, they, you know, this is their famous, and, and the Shabbat, or Rev Shabbat, you know, their famous times, like we're going, the king is in the field, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to welcome the queen, Shabbat, uh, as God welcomes Israel, and the talk of the field being a place of fragrance, yeah, it's very reminiscent of that whole idea. All right, eight. We're almost done. Eight, three through five. I keep saying. Somebody read eight, three through five. Let his left hand be under my head, and his right hand embrace me. I want you to swear, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not arouse or awaken my love until until she pleases. It's a homeschool verse here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Beneath the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. She was in labor and gave you birth. That's pretty good. We already get some picture here. It's like, who is this? Anytime we hear, who is this? Of course, we immediately are reflective of that whole revelation, you know, panorama of, who is this? (coughs) Or as the prophet said, who is this who comes up from Bosworth, robes dripped in blood? Or as we see him in Revelation 19, wearing a robe that is red with the blood. Oh, grapes. No, no, it's just grapes. (laughs) Right. So we we get kind of that picture right there, right? Rashi's not stretching too far, I don't think. Anything else on the mechanical reading? What did Yeshua say about the left hand mm-hmm. and the right hand in terms of knowing what they're doing? And right. that map to this? Yeah, I don't know. His left hand supports my hand, his right hand embraces me and so forth. I don't know, that's good. And it's left hand, which is the Yeah. Is, so uh, what is left hand, right hand? Okay, we gotta, we got to leave the mechanical now. What's left hand, right hand? Keep your notes. Sheep and goats, left and right hand. What else is left and right hand? Well, the Talmud actually in, the, in yesterday's doc was talking Good. about the the right hand for a teacher. He has if he has two disciples, the higher the disciples goes on the right hand, it's still behind the teacher, and the the other one goes to the left. So, but why? Center my right hand is something that's a, 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 a power. It's good. Why? Give me the gritty. What's my right hand for? Entry. No. <laughs> Holding a sword. No. It's eating. What's my left hand for? Bathroom. Defecating. That's right. So, right hand, kids learn this early. Right hand, good. Bad hand, bad. Binyamin. <laughs> That's right. Son of okay, now wash them all. <laughs> That's right. Did, did you find it odd 
in verse 5 that he's coming up from the wilderness leaning on I know it's the other way around. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She's leaning on him. Yeah. yeah. I got it. Okay, so I thought it was the other way around. Like, so how she come? So how she come up from the wilderness leaning on him? Well, Think like Rashi. She's she's uh, born on eagles' wings, as we read in the prophets. Think like Rashi, though. But then Rashi's already started touching on the prophetic. Well, I mean, to me, well, that happens the, twice. To me, the, the, the example is the last time she came up from the wilderness. Okay, that's the first, which is which is when we, we came out of Egypt. Okay, that's good. And how did we lean on him? We had a, you know, we had the cloud and the, and the, right. and the pillar. We right? had the rock. We had man. We had all, these, all this provision provided yeah. for us as we came up from the wilderness. Very good. But, but, but he does what, it again. Okay, but now what's I the main thing from Ezekiel. Okay, what, okay yeah. or even, or even more, more plainly, maybe Yakut Shimoni. What's it say? It's like he's going to take us to the wilderness on eagle's wings. <laughs> right. <laughs> who, is, who is he? Hashem? Hashem. No, not Hashem. It's Messiah. Oops, we shouldn't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Israel. Do you, do you have the Yakut Shemoni in English yet? No. I don't need it. Just, oh, I really Actually, need then, there's a like now <laughs> on the list above Yakut Shemoni is Yakut Moshiach. That's right. That's. Uh, we gotta get a collection of them. We gotta get a collection. <laughs> we gotta pay somebody. We're just gonna have to study harder, man. <laughs> yeah. What's cool is we don't get to stop. We have to keep doing. Collect a lot. Make a library and read it all. All right. So here's Israel speaking. Uh, this is eight verses three through five. Despite my laments in exile, so this is the diaspora. This is after the temple was destroyed. His left hand supports my head. And his right hand embraces the nation. That's right. I adjure you, O nations. So, what's she saying to them? It's like, listen, Hashem's hand supports my head. His right hand embraces me. How dare you? And who's at Hashem's right hand? Well, yeah, Messiah. So who embraces them? Absolutely, absolutely. How dare you? It's like you got, you know, the, you know was it was it Rabbi Cook that said. You know the question is uh, who, uh, where was Messiah during, or where was where was God during the uh, maybe not maybe I wasn't Rabbi. Anyway, how, where was God during the Holocaust? He says Hashem was with us and in, 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 in lists a bunch of the uh, concentration camps. He was with us, and of course we extrapolate that, and the sages say the same thing. Uh, the sage, the modern sages say the same thing, saying the Messiah was with us in in uh, Messiah in exile, the whole yeah. notion of Messiah. In exile. Absolutely. So. But Israel, speaking to the nation, says, Hashem, he supports me. He supports my hand. His right hand embraces me. So he's not only, he's not only my defender, he's also the one who, who has a deep love relationship with me. <coughs> Is this guy going to defend this woman in this story? Fierce. That's why I said fierce love. Fierce love says, it's not just enough for me to make sure that we have all lovey-dovey time, but if anybody even gets close to you, he's finished. I mean, if a hair on your head is hurt, I will go all, you know, karate all over him. This is almost like Exodus. You know, they've been at Exodus and left hand, right hand. They can be two different things, kind of like 
by day, it was fire by night. Very good. It was, it was just light. It was, it was, they were in exile, now they've returned, and God protects the people there. So not only providing cover for them, but also protecting them. Very good. And, and guiding them, because if, if they were to go from his guidance, they would probably be ripped to pieces. I adjure you, O nations, destined to ascend to Jerusalem. When are they going to do that? When they want rain. When they want rain. It's like, okay. <laughs> we got to go again. That's Sukkot. We got to go. <laughs> That's the difference between the nations and Israel. Israel doesn't go, it's Sukkot. We got to go. They go, it's Sukkot. My mother's calling. <laughs> o nations destined to ascend to Jerusalem, to what vain purpose do you dare cause hatred and disturb this love while it yet gratifies? I like that better than the homeschool reading. <laughs> How worthy is she who rises from the desert, bearing Torah in his presence, clinging to her beloved. Wow, that's cool. That's very cool. I'm sorry the church can't, can't qualify. The church can't plug itself into Rashi here. It just doesn't work. She, God calls her worthy. That's pretty profound. That goes back to Ezekiel 37. Not just a race. Not just forgive. Which is the picture of the temple. You know, when we went into the temple, did we get forgiven? You know, you know, yes, we recovered. Absolutely. But that wasn't the point. We purified ourselves at his instruction before we went in. We we presented ourselves before him as pure. I was just gonna say, um, it's interesting how you made the comment that the church can't plug themselves in the Rashi. Uh, one scripture that I've had in the back of my mind for uh, the past couple of days is Matthew 7, 23 and 24, mm-hmm. where uh, Yeshua says that many will come to me right. that day. Lord, Lord. Right, and he will say, I never knew you. And Tim Hegg does an excellent job in revealing what that means, and it can all be seen in this. You know, and the thing that's disturbing about, about of course, those of us who know the passage know that the thing that's being described, people saying, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not uh, heal the sick in your name? You know, even prophesy. All of those mm-hmm. things are seen as supernatural expressions of a relationship, and yet they do not equate to a relationship. Right. They're workers of pluralistness. That's right. And that's the, his answer is? I'm a, yeah. I'm a Mia. You, you, you don't even know what we're talking about. What you thought was it was about that? <laughs> it was about a relationship. <laughs> Let me just uh, underscore that. He also said, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, they won't be able to enter. The That's right. Meticulousness. Oh no, it's got to be just imputed. There's 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 stark words. You shoot his words. The words in red <laughs> are are uh, honestly those are some very strong words. I do. As it turns out, I do. And I find it best to do it by doing it with my mouth. <laughs> I, I think uh, it's it's noteworthy that a lot of people in the visible expression of the church today don't realize that the guys on the left side, the goatee guys, <laughs> these these guys call him Lord. I do. Yeah. Pagans don't do that. No. 
Non-believers don't do that. That should be scary. Yeah. I'm not com- completely convinced at C.S. Lewis uh, allegory in Last Battle, but it is intriguing mm. that C.S. Lewis finds the complete pagan as better than the one that tries to be religious. Well, he had goatee figures, didn't he? He had goatee figures as well. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> the goatee guy. Yeah, he's a goatee guy. All right. One more verse, I think. Chapter 8, verses 10 through 14. One set of verses here. Chapter 8, chapter 14. She, I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes, and as one who finds peace. Through 14. Solomon had, had, a, vin, Solomon had a vineyard at Bahanam. Uh, he let out the vineyards to the keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have may have the thousand, and the keepers of the fruit two hundred. O you who dwell in the he, O you who dwell in the gardens with companions, listening to your voices, let him hear it. She, make haste, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. So in the middle of this erotic tale, all of a sudden we got some sort of business arrangement. I mean, it makes no sense at all. In the mechanical reading, it really doesn't. So let me hear what, it, unless you have any comments, maybe you have something to add. Maybe I need to understand it better. A thousand pieces of silver. Solomon seems like a, I mean, he's the richest man in the world. This seems like a pretty petty deal. This goes back to chapter one. It the does. Very beginning, where she's in the vineyard. She's in the vineyard, but she did not get to tend her own vineyard. Mm-hmm. This is her opportunity to okay. make right okay. what she was unable to do before. Rashi says that too. Okay, uh, 8.10 says, Israel speaking, My faith is firm as a wall, and my nourishing synagogues and study halls are strong as towers. There's the vineyard picture, you know, the protection for the vineyard. Then having said so, I became in his eyes like a bride found. Who said that? He said that. I was perfect. Well, how do we know? He said I was, and that's all that. It's interesting that, that Rashi relates breast like like towers to study halls. I, I kind of like I kind of like the text as it was. Well, yeah. I was, what I was going to say <laughs> was that breast when I think of milk and milk represents life, so study halls of Torah equals life. Well, it is well, yeah, absolutely. There's no question. I said Rashi's not making this up. Well, he is a little bit, but he's not making it up. He's drawing from people who know the language of the Bible, nourished by the Torah. That's right. It's pretty cool when you think about it. Then having said so, I became in his eyes like a bride found perfect. I just love that. That's awesome. It's like, you know, everybody could say, you know, well, you know, you'll never really measure up. It's a good thing you've been forgiven. Because you know you'll always sin. And I can say, well, you know, I know that. But I can tell you another thing, too. He says I'm perfect. Not me personally. We. Me as in we. Israel was Shlomo's. Israel, excuse me. Because we have Be'amunah Shlema. Yes, we did. That's right. Well, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Israel was, Shlo, was Israel was Shlomo's vineyard in populous Jerusalem. He gave his vineyard to harsh, cruel guardians. This, I like this. I've, I've heard this before. Yeah. Each one came. It, it does sound like it, doesn't it? It does. The masters. The same parable. Yeah. It's 
the vineyard. He gave it his vineyard to harsh, cruel guardians, each one. And you know, the funny thing is the church uses that same in parable. Each one, this is Pharisees, they're harsh. Uh, each one came to exhort his fruit, even a thousand silver pieces. The vineyard, this is Hashem speaking. The vineyard is mine. Your iniquities are before me. The thousand pieces of silver yours, Shlomo, and two hundred more to the sages who guarded the fruit of Torah from our designs. Hashem, oh my beloved, dwelling in far-flung gardens, your fellows, the angels, hearken to your voice of Torah and prayer. Let me hear it, that they may again, that they may then sanctify me. Israel, flee, my beloved, from our common exile. Israel saying it, they recognize the bridegroom is with them in exile. Flee, my beloved, from our common exile, and be like a gazelle or a young heart in your swiftness, to redeem and rest your presence among us on the fragrant Mount Moriah, sight of your temple. That's Woo. a way to end the book. Right? Makes you want to drink wine. <laughs> Makes you want to get married if you're not. Because what we're describing is something that's indescribable. Only people who've had it can describe it. Even then, we just can't describe it. Right? So we got language that hints at it, like a movie's trying to hint at a story to somehow give you an experience you haven't had. Well, in our case, it's an experience we've had, but it encourages our experience. Like the scent of your wife. Or like the taste of wine at a romantic dinner. Mm. Those experiences we have, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember this. I remember this relationship. Wow, I really do treasure this. I really treasure this. You know, when I'm busy doing stuff, I you know, I treasure it, but wow, when I get when I get time to actually focus on you, this is really good. Really, really good. I can't describe it to anybody else. You and I know what it feels like. Israel and Hashem know what it feels like. So, whether you can ascribe to Rashi's interpretation or not, and I don't care if you agree or not, it's not important, you have to say that the poetic way of reading this requires that we dig deeper than simply the mechanical. We want to know more than it simply being a, a it to be a reference manual for romantic occasions. Because even though it may be somewhat beneficial in that regard, although I think it's a little sometimes weird, <laughs> um, it's far better seeing it as a, an expression of God's relationship with his people. And to understand, now, here's what's the problem with our normal way that we've seen people do the allegory? What's the purpose of the allegory normally? Make it unpractical. That's right. To take the practical and make it unpractical. To take the practical, physical obedience to God and make it spiritual. So we can explain it away. We use the allegory to explain things away. Is Rashi using the allegory to explain things away? Well, possibly the grittiness of maybe of the text. But other than that, what is he doing? What's his purpose? He wants to make it real. He wants to make it a part of a relationship that people have with God. So even if you don't agree with his text, you can at least say, well, he had the right idea, right? Mm -hmm. Other than the intimate experiences conveyed in the language of the Song of Songs, 
It's pretty gritty. The Hebrew is grittier than English. How else could one explain the inexplicable logic of a relationship between the master and king of the universe and little Israel? A dark and common. Least among nations. Right? But it goes a long way to explain it, doesn't it? The Israel's not just the one that he promised to the fathers, but that he desires Israel a lot. He obsesses, if we could use that term. It, it, it's almost like this is just the, the tip of the, the proverbial iceberg. Mm. It, it's like this is just, it's so unfathomable that until you've experienced that these words are still just barely scratch the surface. Mm. Well, I mean, it's, like we I said, it's, it, this is a worthy study exactly. for a long time. I mean, we just had to touch it. And, I, you know, I thought about making this like five or six lessons. But, you know, even then, we don't want to be scratching the surface. We might get tired of it after a while. I was like, can we get away from erotic poetry? <laughs> <laughs> just want to make a comment, the relationship between Rashi and the church. Mm-hmm. You know, as you know, the, there was a relationship. There was, absolutely. But, but what's And he was well regarded by the church in in a kind of a negative way, adversary way. Yeah, but but what's really unfortunate is that he was aware, obviously, of the messianic underpinnings of this. Mm-hmm. And Jewish people, like when you read the uh, Mishnah, Zerayim Malaf, they talk about building fences. Mm-hmm. So this may have been a fence that he built, and I think in a way it's unfortunate, because because there was an abyss, much like that story of Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, and the wealthy man, there was that abyss. There was an abyss between Rashi and the church. Sure. Now, Martin Luther tried to bridge that, and it didn't happen. We know what the result was. His book, The Jews and Their Lives, and that led to forced concentration camps. But if Rashi would have made some sort of overture, still retain Judaism, but talking about the alternative position, you sort of wonder if the church would have perhaps made an overture and he would have made an overture and something special would have happened. And that special thing is what I see happening right here and right now. Just 900 or so years ago. I, I think Rashi's even better than us, but I, I appreciate yeah. that. I do. Yeah. I agree. I do. Uh, and, and, the thing about, and the thing about this book is why I want to share this book is it's not just Rashi's text because the sages, in particular of the Midrash, but also the Talmud have their commentary in there, even Israel, even uh, building like later ones, building like I own, I actually have their commentary in here, and they definitely make the messianic connection. Yeah. I think having been either out, outright accused or at least insinuated by uh, by uh, by others of being too pro uh, pro Jews and too pro sages. Is that, it, is that possible? <laughs> you know, the one thing that that this um, this book really drives home for me is that the heart of God is for His people Israel. Amen. Intense. And so, if we, whether we're Jew or not, if we have attached ourselves to the God of Israel, the Messiah of Israel. Then our heart should also be the same way. Exactly. Because if we have that relationship, then our heart should beat for the same things. Absolutely. And I, th- and I think that not just among people like us, but even people that are 
maybe uh, still in you know normative Christianity. You know, uh, that's what Christian like, Zionism. Exactly. You know, it's, 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 it is. It's, 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 it's wonderful. It's wonderful. But you know, the ulterior motives are not as pronounced and not as not as. And I'd say they don't even exist anymore. Most people in that group, in that camp are simply the lovers of the Jewish people. They just don't. They just are. There's no other explanation for it. They're not trying to get them saved or anything like that. Although they would want to, that's not their goal. And that's not their mission. Good. Do I have one here? I do. Oh, no, I can get it. Let me tell me where it is. It's is there. Here. Is, is there, there a blessing? Is there a blessing for after reading a Is there one more bullet? Like, yeah, there is, maybe. <laughs> it wasn't important, obviously. I thought it was. Oh, there it is. I love it. It's the language of intimate love. <laughs> it is. Start with may you. <clears throat> I like that, Robert. I know, but you know, it's <laughs> so self. Well, you, I, do you know when this is from? This is actually from Usha, where there was all sorts of division, and they didn't all get along. They really didn't. There was a big old yeah. war going on in, among the sages, and this is what they would say. May you taste of the sweetness of the world to come this way. May you see your children's children come to faith. May your end be with the life of the world to come, and your deeds affect the hope of many generations. May your heart ponder and achieve understanding of Torah. May your mouth speak wisdom to everyone you meet. And may your tongue bring forth song as you praise the Holy One, blessed is he. May you have the self-control to look straight before you. May your eyes be enlightened by the light of Torah. May your face shine like the brightness of the sky. May your lips utter knowledge, your heart rejoice in righteousness, and your feet run to hear the words of the ancient days. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. Thank you, gentlemen. God bless Thank you. you. Thank you, Rick. Good job.